I was able to pull from a story on Conrad Hilton and he did this thing during the Great Depression where all his hotels were closing down the Hilton chains and he was down to one last one and he needed $20,000 to keep it going and he got all his suppliers in the room and his mother and he said if I can get $5,000 from each of you I will buy from you for life and he got the money and he saved it. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's show, as always, is an interesting story and of individual who struggled with dyslexia, really kept it a secret, and then end up actually writing a book about it called I Can't Read. So, uh, William Mansonaris. So interesting about dyslexia, and of course he wouldn't have a simple name for us today, is our guest, and so we'll join him here in a minute. Now, what are some things that are happening at CRG? First of all, thank you for your time and listening to Secrets of Success and being you know, part of the tribe and the listening group, and we appreciate that very much. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, subscribe, uh, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on. In the meantime, around CRG, lots of new things that are going on and happening, and I never know when you're going to be listening to this, but we have now launched a brand new e-course on what do you really value. You know, what would it mean if you could make the right decision every time? And I'm not saying that just to be frivolous, is that when you are clear about who you are and what your core values are, and then you can make a values-based decision, wow, it frees you up. All the research is clear is that you have better decision making, your stress level goes down, your objectivity goes up, even your ability to receive negative feedback increases or improves when you are clear about your core values. So what do you really value is now available online as an e-course and so we just encourage that you would consider that or share it as a gift for somebody and we'll have the URL online in the show notes but otherwise go to crgleader.com, look for online courses, and it's called What Do You Really Value? So here's our show for today. Thank you again for listening with William Mansonaris on I Can't Read. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, all of us have a story, and the story around encouragement, but interesting today's guest, William Moneris. Now, William, I said your name incorrectly. How do you say your last name correctly? Manzanares. Manzanares. I knew I missed a vowel in the middle of that. And interesting, your book is I Can't Read. I'm dyslexic, so we've already sort of opened the show with that as an example. So William, I'll call you William throughout the rest of the show. And so you have this new book, I Can't Read, A Guide to Success Through Failure. And we'll get to that here in a moment. But before we get into it, the SOS listeners always like people's stories. So William, tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up in, in your background. I uh, born and raised in the Tacoma, Washington area, call it home. I always find it fascinating to start talking about yourself because it feels like the difference between like a work interview or what's entertaining for the for the audience. I do a lot of talks with 
local schools and colleges and business classes talking about business. I was told once I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I like that title, so it stuck with me. I've opened various types of businesses, opened them, ran them successfully, closed some down because I knew they weren't going to be successful. And mm. along the way, stumbled upon what I found is uh, a cure to solutions in my companies. So then I started exploring that. And that was uh, actually through reading. Mm. One of my biggest things is uh, if you want a job with me, you have to read a book to get a job and not any, not my book, but not just any particular book, a book about customer service. And when others say it's hard to find people to work, I make it harder for them to come work with me. So that's where I've always had that mm. ability to think outside the box. Or when someone says it can't be done, I go out and do it. Well, I appreciate it. And of course, entrepreneurs need that tenacity. But let's just kind of back up a little bit around your childhood as far as so that people get a sense of your journey yourself. So for those people that are listening, Tacoma is close to Seattle, Washington, or on the West Coast of the U.S., with that, what, what's kind of like your childhood? What was that like? Well, you know, when you think about childhood, you think about the Northwest, you think about being outside, you think about having fun and our seasons, snow. I mean, but I instantly always want to jump to the entrepreneurial side of my childhood where I was, that's what I always remember is the stores I made in my room or selling things to neighborhood kids or talking my sister out of her money by having her buy something for me. Oh, uh, and exactly how did that happen? Well, my mom would always tell this story and I don't remember exactly this way, but uh, I guess it's how it went down is I would talk my sister out of her Halloween candy on Halloween night and then sell it back to her when she ran out of the rest of her candy. I'm not sure if every parent is wanting their child to do that, but that was very entrepreneurial of you. Well, I remembered it as I talked her out of the candy she didn't like and I traded her for candy. I, you know, we did a swap and I held on to candy to sell it to her when like our grandma would give us money, you know, the, wow. It's like silver dollars or something, you know, if anyone even seen a silver dollar, when my grandma, great grandma would give it to us, she would say it'd be worth something someday. So I'd, hang, I'd say, yeah. Mm. So you mentioned your parents. What were, you know, when you think about your sort of high school years and your parents, what were your parents like with you as far as, were they supportive? What did they do? Um, they were really supportive of anything I wanted to accomplish or do. I feel like I just had the, I had the working class family upbringing where they both had to work a lot and provide for us and just saw the and value so what, of hard what work. were their professions that they were in my father was a bus driver at the local Pierce Transit for years and he uh, my mother worked in the school kitchens cool okay and so what were some of the things that they were teaching or the environment that you're a part of that you found encouraging I believe on when I don't believe it's when why I always speak of entrepreneurism is I'd come home and create something or do something that no one thought of in the family. And they would always meet it with astonishment or my father. Uh, I remember this one time someone forgot a small bag of like soap or I don't think he's uh, groceries right on his bus route. And he didn't notice till the end. And I asked him why didn't turn in lost and found. He said, no one will ever the claim it. So he handed it to me and it had soap and some other things in it. And I turned a store into it. He said, make a store with it. And he always supported any idea I had for a store. And he would te teach me about markup. And you, you got to buy something at a lower price than you sell for. And that was just basic. My mom was supportive in all my creativity. Anything I ever wanted to do, she went along with it. So what did you do after high school? Did you go to college? Yeah, I did a couple years at the community college, Pierce College. And then I went on to UW-Tacoma uh, UW campus. Uh, but 
and I ended up dropping out to finish my, uh, I had two businesses going at the same time. So I dropped out, never finished that bachelor's degree. Well, talk to us about, first of all, uh, what did you take in college? And then what were these two businesses that you started? I, uh, took general classes in college. I had this idea that since I always liked business, I should challenge myself in college and not take business classes. I don't know what I was thinking. I was young and naive. (laughs) The businesses at the time I had a smoke shop and a bar and grill restaurant. Hang on. You're how old at this time? Uh, 23 or 24. And you have a bar and grill restaurant. I'm barking at 25. Sorry. I'm thinking about, uh, opportunity. Uh, building had a uh, building I was leasing for one of our stores had a existing bar that used to be a business. So I opened it up. Wow. And so when you think about, you know, the listeners, you, you say it sort of matter of fact, you know, 95% of people would never be able to have the chutzpah to do it. So what was really driving you to be able to kind of pull this off that the listeners could gain from that? Well, the drive for me was since I was little and I struggled with reading and I struggled at not knowing I was dyslexic, not knowing and just thought I was stupid. So when people talked about success, you had to go to college, you had to, you had to do this to get a good job, you had to do this, you had to do that. Somehow I gravitated to the historical icons of people who came to this country and started empires, you know, by just working, working their butts off. So I noticed those people did it. So I had this drive inside of me to be a business owner since I was young because it's mm-hmm. when you talk about encouragement, it's what I was encouraged that I was good at. It was the one thing that everyone praised me for from different family members. I mean, when you were doing stores in your room and you had distant cousins who might make fun of you for doing that, by, I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever had anyone make fun of them for doing something. It inspired me to be even better at it. So for me, I was going to be a business owner. It was just a matter of time. So that was the determining factor. And when I saw opportunities to own different types of businesses, I took them for expansion or diversification or anything I could talk about in hindsight. But at the time, I just wanted to survive. So your smoke shop, explain to us, what was that business? Uh, I was managing its tobacco and cigarette retail store, like a convenience store. I wouldn't say it's like a 7-Eleven because we have less food. It would be more of a, if people use tobacco, they'll know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a specialty shop. And I was managing that with a uh, cousin of mine and we had uh, expanded two locations, I believe by that time when I was still in school and I kept trying to get a degree and going towards that, but we had a business going and uh, it was not as easy as I thought it would be. Or you assumed when you first get a business that it's going to be profitable and it takes a while. (laughs) Uh, Really? Yeah, of course. So then what, what happened with both of those businesses? Well, that goes to a story that sometimes I started out like this in business classes. I said the worst business day of my life was the day my partner decided to clean up the bank account and take everything from the store within 15 minutes. And he left me with the least employees and nothing. And wow. And so which business was this? That the smoke did? shop. The smoke shop. I. So go ahead. No, that was the worst day. And that's what defined where I am today because... I mean, at the moment, it, everything was taken from you, everything, and you only had a, oh, uh, oh, heck no, this isn't going to happen. I had just opened the bar. I think this was in 07. I had just opened the bar, so I was in debt from that, and I had no money to get it going, but I got creative, and then I tell the story of, well, that was my way of saying, you, not expanding, only you're not going to attend it, and years later, I had four, make, you know, but I'm going to try it because of the bar, so and that was my way of saying, you, not only you're not going to take 
something from me or make, you know, but I'm going to thrive because of it. So let's just go through this and back up because this is an important story for listeners, William. First of all, your partner has taken all of this stuff. Obviously, you felt something, maybe betrayal, whatever it is, anger. How did you overcome that? And then what did you do next to be able to successfully keep it going with no resources? What did you do? So first of all, your emotional response. And number two is what did you practically do to keep this thing going? Well, that's the funny thing is emotional. You don't know how to respond. Um, You're realizing it's over with. It was a bad day for me anyway. I I lost the great grandma I talked about earlier that same day. And I was already in emotional bad place, but I was able to pull from a story from a biography channel I watched on Conrad Hilton. And he did this thing during the great depression where all his hotels were closing down the Hilton chains and he was down to one last one and he needed $20,000 to keep it going. And he got all his suppliers in the room and his mother. And he said, if I can get $5,000 from each of you, I will buy from you for life. And he got the money and he saved it. Well, I tried a different variation. Actually, I've never explained this story out loud. So your listeners into something I've never been interviewed on. I actually went to that level of asking vendors, doing everything I can, saying I will buy from you for life and just shooting from the hip to get products in the store. We already had a built customer base. So my whole mindset was if a customer has a disruption, they'll go to another store and never come back. So we, I have to give them the illusion that we have products. So the second we would sell something, I'd buy it. I'd buy it from my competition to have it on the shelf, even if I was making no profit. To me, it was about customers uh, coming in the store and having no disruption in their experience. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter to them what I went through. I could tell them a sob story for years, but it doesn't matter. Well, needless to say, I was able to make an order that same day, that night, and I had some products back in the store bought on just, I'll pay you back, please let me, give me a day. And just knowing what I could do in volume, it was kind of those moments of never letting a customer come into the store and not have a product. And that became my obsession for years, actually. Still haunts me because I ended up firing someone once after telling them, don't ever tell a customer we're out of something. And this is years later. They told the customer out and it was literally right behind them. Well, I'm always going to remember if that happened during that time in my life, we wouldn't be standing here. So I fired that person instantly and took over their shift because you can only train someone so much to say mm. if someone is out of something, we don't have a customer. So what uh, did you want them to say? I'm, it's a curious, you know, as a business coach and speaker as well, William, uh, interesting. What, what did you want them to say? Well, Nothing. I told, if, if what I can remember from that time frame, I told them not to say anything negative, just say we, we're getting more product in. You don't want a customer to know you're dirty up laundry. You don't want them to know that we had a partner that did that. You just want them to keep buying. Of course. Yeah, and sure. so that was that frame. Oh, and then during that time frame, the other thing that really was betrayal was everyone who worked for me just started quitting and going to work for my uh, partner's family company. So we lost everyone except two people during that time frame. So it was one of those uh, built back the moment. And now I I can speak with confidence in hindsight, but uh, I had a good friend of mine remind me that I really thought I was losing everything every day. And I think that survival technique kicked in and I built those companies back up. And that was the, the story I like to tell is more theatrical with customer service. And it is true. It's customer service was my focus, but it's also paying your bills and paying your debts. I was the one who took on all the debt. I had to pay the employees. They came to me 
So did the so did your supplier support you with this initiative and help you? Uh, out? One didn't. The one dropped me uh, within thirty days. They said we're not going to do this deal with you anymore, and they didn't even tell me. They just we just didn't get a product then. That was a bad bad. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going negative because I want to say it doesn't always sound rosy. It was that one person, and I said okay. Wow. So uh, practically, William, with that, how did you dig yourself out? You just took on some more debt. Uh, obviously, somebody was willing to fund you that way. Uh, but how did you dig yourself out practically? Uh, taking no pay and paying people the bare minimum wage that you can pay someone at the time. So I had to cut the couple employees pay with promise of being taken care of down the road. And one of those people are still with my company. So mm. that was my promise is I'm going to take care of you. Just please don't leave. Cause I, I knew I couldn't do it alone. I needed the, the expertise of the people who've been working there for the last couple of years. Of course, <laughs> as so. a business owner, I get it. I, you don't need, you don't want to be the expert on everything. That's really not what you want to do. So, but that's great. You know, when we think about uh, the listeners and what you're talking about, um, William, is this resilience and persistence. But there is something that you said, I think is very, very important for the listeners, is even though there was this catastrophic or very negative event happening behind you, sharing that with customers in your environment is not advisable. And so just moving forward and keeping that close to your chest and not uh, sharing it is part of the strategy to get back. And so a lot of times people share this negative event and that actually contributes to your downfall. It, I would 100% agree. Um, years, a year or so later, I had a different person in the company who worked at the, anyway, he, he knew the neighborhood and as best as anyone could remember, no one could remember that day in business. They don't remember it. They just remember we always coming to the same store and just buying products and the name changed. Obviously I changed the name, but no one remembers that day that we had nothing there. If they did, it was so fixed that, you know what I mean? No, no one but me knew how bad it was because I kept faking it to the mm -hmm. customers and the employees knew, but I had to promise them something better. But okay. um, you don't ever let your people know, your customers know how bad you have it. For sure. And that's, I can't remember what book I read. And by the way, I'm going to have you a question about that here in a moment, where this person took his last funds and really put a party on for his suppliers. And it was a bit of a ruse, but it would, the key was is just to build confidence in the dream. And now he's a multi, multi-millionaire uh, in real estate investment. And so that was part of the process is to make sure that, you know, this, I am not giving up on this, this dream. So what happened after that? So here you've, you've, you stayed resilient, you started to move forward. Now what was happening with some of your business ventures and what were you going into? Um, I still going through the tobacco stores and I really never wanted to be the tobacco guy. It was just thrusted upon me. And then that day changed everything that I wasn't going to let someone take me out of business. My identity of myself was, I'm going to be a business owner. And I tried other business. I dabbled in other business ventures. I kept trying and trying and trying, trying to get out of this, what perceived to be bad environment, but it was just making it efficient. So I made everything as efficient as possible. I made it as efficient so that I could scale. I made it as, you know, I, I hope that words your, your listeners would understand. You had to cut out expenses, well, unnecessary expenses to keep the company going. But when I got to the, when I got to uh, second location of that, brand. I uh, was working on some property and that became my Smoke and Willie's brand. It was my property. 
no partners, nobody, no nothing. And then that happened, and that was in 2012. And that was great because I was able to do everything I've ever had outside the box idea on that location, and it worked. We it went great. The sales went great. It took about a year, but it just grew fast, faster than anything else I've ever done. And uh, that was what an were, amazing. What were some of the sort of, I'll call it general strategies you implemented there that the listeners could think about if they are in a business or own a business or that you deployed there that we can think about in our, in our space? Well, that one was, I guess to say simply, there was a store across the street. It's my competition. Um, they didn't have a drive through They didn't have a uh, certain customer service. So I just exploited that and became a drive through only made it focused on fast, friendly service. Cause I wanted to have friendlier service than across the street and faster mm -hmm. service. And that was, and then we put in multiple windows. If you picture, uh, I don't know if we, we have so many coffee stands in the Seattle area. I don't know if your listeners know what a coffee stand would look like. We have so many, it's just not natural for me to, to understand if people don't understand a drive-through coffee. Uh, well, everybody knows about drive-through coffee through a Starbucks or something like that, drive-through McDonald's and you pick up your coffee. So people are familiar with that concept. And yeah, in your area, it is quite where you have the shacks, which is almost like a six by eight or or an eight by 10 shack. And that's the coffee stand and people just drive around it and pick up their coffee. Well, those we have such a, a big, huge building. We have such a supply of, of so many of those that any people have to line up on both sides of the building and one barista may handle both windows. So what I thought was revolutionary with that was I added multiple windows on each side of the building so that we could speed through the line faster than any other store. I always felt great about doing that because every store after that store for my competition has a double drive through now. I, I feel like I revolutionized that idea. Even if someone had an idea for doing that, I did it first. Um, mm. That's what you find in business. Someone will always say they thought of that idea when they see that you, quote unquote, have done it. Well, it's interesting, William. I've been in this industry 30 years, and you might not be old enough to remember Tom Peters. But Tom Peters, you know, was around this service excellence and had some New York Times bestsellers. And when we were doing some work, you know, with his work in some of the stuff, he says, most of the time your competition tells you directly what you should be doing. And he used to do a lot of customer service with gas stations. He says, your competition is right across the street. All you need to do is better them. So that was what you were doing there and just creating an experience that was much more positive than these other locations. And so that's excellent. So when we think about your progression, let's move into your book. I can't read a guide to success through failure. Uh, talk to us about that journey and what was driving you to write this book. Well, the story I told you earlier, your listeners earlier, was a story I always felt should be written about. And I always talked about a business book one day. Well, somewhere along the line when we were dealing with some problems, I guess I'm going to say it briefly and I don't want to, I, I closed down one of my smoke shops and turned into a health food store. Didn't, didn't pan out. I was trying to do a health food community store. Yeah, I knew there there could be, it could fail. So when it failed, I was frustrated that I put so much effort into something that failed. I kept thinking, well, no one wants to eat healthy. I know people do eat healthy, but in my mind, I was like, no one wants to eat healthy. Maybe it can change how they think. So I started promoting books because I had been reading, I've been reading a lot of books on Audible 
since about 2014. And that's where I got inspired to do some of these outside the box ideas. And one was I had a stack of books that I, of the customer rules. And I said, Hey, you have to read this book to get a job. And I handed it out to all the applicants and one person. By the way, what book is that? What's it called? Oh, it's called the customer rules by Lee Cockrell. Uh, He spent a lifetime career in the service industry and retired as an executive vice president at Disney World. So he had a lot of knowledge from Disney uh, in customer service. And it, his book's called The Customer Rules of 39. Quick read. It's really essential. It's sad that some people don't realize that's how you should actually treat a customer. Mm. But I made it a standard. And I, I have to always say that because I was focusing so much on trying to get the employees to read more. I had read once that the average CEO reads 60 books a year and the average worker reads one book. And I was like, I got to bring that average up in my company. Well, somewhere along that obsessive push of read, 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 a couple of them came to me and said, we can't do what you can do. Uh, We can't read as much as you. And that's when it hit me about the thing that I never talked about to anyone was my reading problem. Now, when did you discover your reading problem and what is it? Oh, it's not a, dis- uh, when you're in school, you discover it. I, in the first grade, probably didn't notice it was a second grade. I got held back in first grade reading and I was just, I, when I look at a word, I can't sound it out is the best way to say it to your, I phonetically can't read. So that was something that I kept to myself, but I used technology and workarounds and little secrets that I talked to my book and stuff in the classroom that got me through school. But I, didn't realize I was dyslexic when I was younger because I just really read very, very badly. And I always thought it was me. Hmm. Well, interesting, William, as a, as a fellow dyslexic, dy- dyslexian, let's make, create the new word. Yes. Uh, I grew up in a time when there wasn't technology. So I was actually in my late 20s before I discovered I even had dyslexia. I just struggled. It was actually technology that helped me solve that. And now I'm a writer of four or five million words of content in several books. But it was technology that allowed me to do it. But it wasn't until I was in my 20s that it was discovered. So back then in school, you were my grade nine English teacher, just as you maybe had a situation there, said I would not amount to anything because I couldn't read or write. But they didn't really know about these things or didn't focus on them at that time. So you, you knew about it. You didn't share it with anybody. So what's the drive around I can't read a guide to success through failure? What's, I, what's, what's I, the premise of this book? I realized after that when I told the company, I told them why I'm so passionate about reading now. I told them that Audible, I can listen to books and digest them and read more than I've ever could in my whole life. And I've changed since in the last six years. I've changed. I'm not the same person I was before for the better. And I was trying to inspire them to become more avid readers. Well, after that, a heart-filled uh, telling them why and telling a group of people why, uh, I noticed something that I didn't think was going to happen was people came up to me and told me about their loved ones who struggle. And then I started researching with a buddy of mine how bad the problem is in the United States. And it just started hitting me of, why aren't people talking about this more? There's more problems with reading. 32 million people can't read. That's not even saying anything about dyslexia. 32 million can't read. Like 20% of the population is in the lowest proficiency level of reading and it's not being talked about. What? That's where I started going, why isn't this talked about more? It it is uh, surprising. There are students who are graduating from grade 12 who can't read or write. And that 
blew my mind. And instead of writing the business book, I said, I'm going to write about my own journey and talk about me because I tried to make this a collaborative effort of people who had reading struggles, but I realized the ones who had shared with me in my life don't, didn't want to be in a book. They didn't want to tell their story. They didn't want to talk about it. it. It was. What do you think was the reason that they didn't want to talk about it or share their story? What was it's embarrassing. I think it's it's humble. It hurts. It's. I mean, I because of technology have conquered all of this, meaning it's I'm in a level playing field now, and it's still hard for me to bring up because people are snarky. I have to be. I mean, I've had someone say, "How did you?" But you can read. I don't get it. Why do you write a book you can't read? Well, you you don't get it. But let me tell you who does get it. And I talk about it. There's a, a nice man who used to help me up around my store. His name was BG. I talk about him in my introduction. And he, when I was talking about this title, this concept around someone else, I was, he was in ear, uh, earshot. He said, well, I read that. I can't read. Well, I said, what? And then I had to ask him some signs. We were, on, oh, we were driving. So I asked him some road signs and I said, we read that out for me. And he phonetically can read. Now he stuttered on some words. Uh, when we got to Warehouser, he said Warehouser, and he like he's really stretched it out. He could do what I couldn't do. I, to learn Warehouser, I would have to have it told to me a couple times. I'd have to practice it. I phonetically can't read it, but I know what the word is because I've seen it a lot in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those words where he said that, and I talked to him. I said, who told you you couldn't read? And he talked about some tests. won't go into his background, but he was told once he's, he can't read, and he can read. He phonetically can, and I don't, and he has that mindset, and I realize it's the can't mindset. You got to take the can't out of your life. If you tell yourself you can't, you're right. If you tell yourself how can it become done, or how do you do it, it's that's what happens. Shutting down your brain, taking, putting can't in your vocabulary for the average person stops your brain from being creative. And mm-hmm. I wrote it for him, I wrote it for others, and I wrote it for the people that now they see this title. I have conversations I've never could have imagined when I first thought of, well, let's talk about the epidemic problem of reading and illiteracy in this problem on uh, this country. Um, I've heard some amazing stories. It's, and also some frustrating ones, but people are more open to tell me their shortcomings. And it's, uh, you, you would be, I don't, you know, but I wonder how many listeners realize we all are facing some kind of hindrance in our life, something that does makes us different. But what makes us uh, human is we like to help each other and, I always wanted to thank those who helped me get to where I'm at. I wouldn't be, have these many businesses without the amount of amazing people on my teams and the support network of loved ones and family members who helped me along the way. And I realized other people don't have that. I had people tell me, you're great at business. See, that was the one thing that I was always told I was great at, and I stuck to it so much as a youth that I became an expert in it at a younger age because it's what I was told I was good at. And I want people who struggle with reading now to know you can read. It will take you time. It, it will be a struggle. Just like you said, Doc, was it took you till your 20s. And it's okay if you're older and discover that you, the joy of reading. It's okay. And once you discover the joy of reading, you, you will unlock worlds you never knew existed. Now, are you using Audible as your book or are you actually physically reading print now? Well, I want to ask a fellow dyslexic, one thing that is a trait not shared by all, but uh, I can listen to books at multiple speeds and retain them all. I do use, I mean, I'm here, we're doing a podcast. So I love the podcast space. I listen to one to two hours of podcasts a day. So I would say that's a majority, though I would say for the most part now, um, I enjoy the physical reading. So if I go on a holiday or something like that, a vacation, 
I'll take three, four, five books and I'll consume a book a day and I'll be able to do it. So it's fine. Part of me is that I couldn't spell. Mm -hmm. So I could read not too badly. Now, slowly to start with, and then over the years have developed the skill to do it. But on the other hand is I still can't, the spelling is horrid. So thank goodness for a computer and a thing called Word that helps to tell me that the spelling is incorrect. So that was my dilemma. Now, sounding out a word, yet less so. Uh, reading a script for, let's say, doing a TV spot or something like that, I just would never do it, right? Having a teleprompter. So reading towards it, so I'm off the cuff. That's why we have no prescribed questions on secrets of success. It's one of the reasons is I, d I don't read bios. It's not the thing that I do. So that's sort of how I think it like you, William, is that you create an environment that works with you. And even when I was younger, like you, I was told, Ken, you're a very good speaker. And I was an MC when I was in my teenagers being asked to oversee these banquets and stuff like that because I was good that way. Writing, another story. But here I'm now an, an author of millions of words. Well, that was just the journey of developing that. And as you have done, technology is serving you. So, you know, my, our encouragement, like you're doing, is that people work with what they have and then continue to develop and move forward, but don't stop and don't use the word can't either. I, thanks for sharing. I, I believe, and I think anyone, I, I, you know, 40% of dyslexics are self-made millionaires. Do you know that they're mainly in, they're in business and engineering? Th th those aspects of creativity never leave us. And I've heard so many great things about why if people, the joys of dyslexia and the joys of uh, the struggle is it gets you to appreciate it a lot more when you're mm. older. And yeah, you don't become a prima donna for sure, do you, William? You're, you're humbled by the situation, but it's also a tenacity that comes out of it. Exactly. Mm. So what are you teaching us in the book? We only have about five minutes left, William. And uh, first of all, before we uh, dive into just some of the recommendations, how do people find out about you? What's, um, what's the URL for them to go to? I have Will Talks Biz because my last name is really hard to spell for anyone. Um, willtalksbiz.com and then I also have I can't read the book.com because I figured that'd be pretty if you can't re you can remember the title you could look it up okay so but. we'll put both of those in the show notes so that everybody has a hold of those so as so uh, willtalksbiz biz.com and I can't read the book.com so that's the two locations to find out about you. So what are you prescribing to the listeners here? A couple of sort of wisdom notes, William, that you would like the listeners to kind of leave with today where it said, listen, this is what I'm recommending you embrace to kind of move forward and have success through failure. Simply put, if you don't have time to read a book, which I, I wrote it to be really short and a short listen because I, I wrote it. I intend people who struggle with reading to read it and get inspired by it. And if you don't struggle, then it's about taking the can't out of your life and figuring out how can you do something. I talk about more of my personal story through schools, which I don't need to get into in the next five minutes. And I talk about solutions I came up with. The best point for this book also is if you don't struggle with reading, you know someone who does, and you've always suspected it. Someone in my, I won't name them because you'll, I don't want to put them out there like that. But someone in my family, 
I always suspected, and it wasn't until this book came out that I was finally told, yep, he struggled. I struggled. I was like, see, I, knew, I could feel it. I knew it. I saw it my whole life, but it was, we know people. I thought that my book could be a great conversation piece being on a coffee table, talking about this entrepreneur and this podcast you listen to about the dyslexics talking the joy of whatever they do now in writing. And I just thought it could be a conversation piece to start a conversation with your loved ones. And if you are going through the struggle, then pick it up and then realize that you can change your circumstances. And the best way to, I'm not going to say the only way, but the best way to change it is by getting other opinions. And what better than the authors who spent time to write books about change, about life, about love, about Mm -hmm. business and learn from their journey because we can't live every life ourselves. So why not learn from someone else's life? And that's the joy. Well, that's of the journey. Now, interesting. You cited the stat that most leaders or CEOs read about a book a week and the employees read a book a year. Uh, the stats actually show that 85% of people don't actually ever read a book after college. So now some might have, some fiction that are in there, but a lot of people, of course, are consuming videos and going in that format there. Now, I want to back up one second before we go, uh, William, and you said you get your applicants to read the book Customer Rules. Mm-hmm. Just explain that process to the listeners, how you do that. And, and so they're applying for a job and then they have to read this book. And then what do you do? Then they get hired. If they get, if you get the book, then you're going to get hired. If you finish the book, we don't just give the book out to everyone. There's like two rounds of interview process that the HR handles now, and they give out copies of the book or audio book. Um, and if you, when you're done reading it, then you got the job. So you will, you will give them the option to make that as an audio book for them yes, to of consume. Yes. Okay. okay. Excellent. Excellent. So what would be your final comment or encouragement to the listeners today? William, if you haven't picked up a book in a long time, pick one up. I 100% can tell you, you will be changed for it if you put in the effort to become what you want to become. Anyone who wants to own a business can own a business, but maybe you should read about it before you get into it because you might have avoided some mistakes. If I would have read as much as I've read now when I was younger, that, that story I told you wouldn't have happened. I would have been able to have a conversation with my ex-partner before it got that bad. I would have been able to have real conversations and not been so egotistical with my own ways. Mm-hmm. I, I would have had the insight to be able not to prevent something like that. And also, if I would have read this many books and it had happened, I would have had a different outlook and a different way of doing things. So whatever you're facing in business or life, someone's written about it and you can learn from another perspective without having to go through the same problem over and over without a solution. Absolutely. Well, William, stay on the line with us, but uh, thank you for being on the show. We sure appreciate it. Thank you. Well, go to ICan'tReadTheBook.com or WillTalksBiz.com to find out more about William's work and his encouragement around, hey, just overcoming stuff. All of us have stuff to overcome. And I thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. And if you like what we're doing, just please pass it on, subscribe, leave a positive comment on any channel that you're listening on. The other side, I want to encourage you is that, you know, every single person listening is important. Every single person matters. And so take the steps, take the can't out of your life and go forward and make a difference. Thanks for listening. 
I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.